Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number 97, the February 1976 issue titled, My Brother, My Enemy. The brother's gonna work it out. 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 And in fact, there are two brothers who are fighting in a very enemyistic way. If if I can say that. I don't know. Cyclops and Havoc are on the front of this comic book, and they are shooting each other. Cyclops' beams. This is a dumb fight. Why is Cyclops... Why is Havoc, who shoots his powers out of two hands, pointing both of his hands at Cyclops' beam? I don't know. Does Havoc really shoot out of his hands, or does he kind of shoot out of... I always kind of thought he, he channeled his energy through his body, where it kind of collected in his concentric circles and then just kind of released it. And like the blasts went where his hands went, but they didn't actually emit from his fingertips. Like it's depicted here. Hmm. I don't know. It is kind of dumb because he could just aim at like his belly or something. And then Cyclops would be down. But then the other thing that I think we've learned in previous issues is that, uh, uh, um, these, they don't hurt each other. Right. Well, have we have we learned that yet? I thought I, I we. I don't think that's a that's a fact yet. Are you sure? I thought we had learned that in um, I don't know one of the. Maybe we haven't. I thought we'd learned that already, though. You could be right, but this issue, reading this issue, seemed to imply that that was not a truth yet. I I thought for sure that in our pre sixty six issues we had uh, you know they were like oh my powers are barely I can't affect you because we're related. I don't know. What is Cyclops like? Cyclops's hands are very strange as he shoots. I must grasp this invisible string rope. I have no idea. Uh, I think maybe uh, Dave Cockrum here uh, just wanted to have Cyclops do something other than have his hands at his side, so he gave him a very gripping pose. He's kind of got a cackling menace to it. <laughs> I will blast you. <laughs> and in the background, you've got Storm Colossus and Nightcrawler <laughs> uh, running in the midst of an exploded airplane. Whoa. And Storm's GWA all. GWA style. Storm's all like, stay back, my fellow X-Men. This is one battle that Cyclops must fight alone. Crazy, man. Crazy. <laughs> This cover is actually, I think it's by, uh, it says it's by Buckler and Cockrum, so that would lead me to guess that Cockrum inked it. You're probably right. And is that Mike Buckler? I don't know who, who Mike Buckler is, but... I don't know either. <laughs> well, as we open up this book, uh, we see a startling image on the first page of the... <gasps> yes! I See, you shouldn't have even turned the page, it was so startling. <laughs> This one is featuring the professor, and he looks like he is in agony. And I think one can only assume that he is dreaming of his X-Men who are coming out of Storm's hair. And that would be frightening to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason... Uh, insert, insert edit point 
Okay. Um, the cover is by Rich Buckler and Dave Cockrum. Okay. Good old Rich Buckler. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the story is by Chris Claremont uh, with Dave Cockrum drawing, Sam Granger is inking, Annette K is lettering, Don Warfield is coloring, Marv Wolfman is editing. So that backup creative team seems to continually change. I don't think that was. Mm. The, I don't think that was the same uh, inker and letterer we had last time. But, Do you want me to look that up? No. But anyways, uh, <laughs> in addition to the X Men pouring out of Storm's hair, uh, you also have uh, like some space insects flying around too. Are they insects or are they spaceships? I don't know. I'm going to say that they're probably spaceships, but they certainly look a lot like insects to me. They're like insectoid spaceships. <laughs> exactly. Did you ever see that show Lex? I never watched Lex. They have insectoid spaceships in that too. Okay. There was a show that I, a cartoon that I watched when I was a kid that had insect-like spaceships too, and I can't remember what it was called. I want to say it was like Insecticons, but that's obviously Transformers. So that's not it. Sectors? I don't remember. Yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> Anyways, the professor, he's all like, no, he's screaming, get out of my mind. So some sectoids? Insectoids? I don't know. Something is penetrating the man's mind. You. <laughs> and by the looks of this picture, it's probably Cyclops. <laughs> Yeah, so we turn the page and we get like a big old two-page spread of the spiral galaxies of flame, and there's another usage of the word hell here in the uh, in the narration segment. There, I don't know about you, but when I see these big space splash pages and all these words all over the place, I just totally zone out. Like I read this, I must I read this page twice, and I lost my. Uh, attention span both times yeah it's a i think it's a it's a double-edged sword because like if you don't put any words here somebody looks at that and then just goes to the next page right uh you put all of these words here and you're like where was i what was happening in that first what's going on here so it's a it's a it's definitely a balance and a game uh, that you have to play. And you're right, there are a lot of words here. And basically, the takeaway is that the professor can't sleep. He hasn't been able to sleep for a while, and he continues to have this same nightmare and of it, this insectoid space battle. Two mighty star fleets creating their own private Armageddon in the desolate space around a giant binary sun. I meant to look up binary sun because we are going to come across a lot of binary suns and binary stars. Well, then you have plenty of time to look it up. <laughs> so for this issue and episode, we will not know what it is. But next time it comes up, eh, probably still won't either. And uh, yeah, and then we so it's a two page spread, but there's like four little panels in the bottom corner. And I guess what's happening is one of the ships is getting closer and closer and closer to the professor. And for some reason, those four panels at the bottom is where I regained my attention yeah. and realized as I was reading the first panel that I hadn't been paying attention. It happened to be twice. <laughs> Have you ever read a book and like you found yourself like on the, you know, the next page and like, what the Oh, hell? all the time. <laughs> I always have to go back and sometimes I just don't go back. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think I had that problem with this page, but I can see how you would, you know, because there are a lot of words on this page. 
But as we turn the page once again, just burning through this comic book, uh, we find out that this thing that was getting closer and closer to the professor, I think, is a spacesuit, and there's maybe a person in there. It's hard to tell because it it looks like he's zooming in to the spaceship, and, and as he gets closer and closer, we kind of zoom out and we see that there's. It's not the, the the glass lens of the spaceship, but it's actually the glass lens of a costume or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe he went through the the, the window of the spaceship and this is on the inside of it. Right. It's, it's difficult to make out because uh, this, I think it's a space suit because it says so close this time, closer than he's ever come before, close enough to see a face. And I think if, if you look inside this helmet, you can kind of see maybe the outline of an eye and maybe a nose. I'm not quite sure. That could just be odd inking, too. I think you're right. I think you're right. But see, the thing that makes this a little bit more confusing is that this space suit looks like the front of one of those bug-like spaceships. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know. Either they're uh, completely matching their outfits and their armada or, I don't know, they just they're just very... Maybe it's a big bug that's inside there. Yeah, that's what I would think. The professor wakes from his dream with a no! <laughs> a very loud no. Uh, ironic. It doesn't even get a word balloon. It's a sound effect. Ironic, isn't it, Xavier? You pride yourself on possessing the strongest mutant prey on Earth. Yet this dream tears your mind apart at will. Damn these mutant brains! <laughs> And we first, we, we, we finally, after all of these years, learn how the professor gets himself out of bed. <laughs> he has a pull-up bar above his bed that he pulls himself up and onto his wheelchair. It looks like it's a little too tall for him. <laughs> it does look like he's hyper-extending his, ups, uh, his uh, uh, torso to get to it. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, well, anyways... So he's worried that he's losing his mind, but uh, whatever. However, McTaggart comes upon the professor making some tea. She heard him cry out, and she's asking, Oh my gosh, you're still shaking, as he spills tea all over the place. <laughs> or maybe it's coffee, I don't know. Here, give me the coffee pot before oh, you burn coffee. yourself. I had the dream again, stronger than ever. There's such power behind it, Moira. Such incredible power. Yeah, he's losing it. He thinks so. He, he, how do I tell the X-Men that I'm going mad? He says. Hey, it's not so bad as all of that. You called for help and I came as I said I would. So I guess maybe this is why Moira was called, because the professor... Well, last issue he said he was sleepless because of Thunderbird's death. Now we learn that that's a lie. <laughs> He could care less about Thunderbird's death. It's all been about these space bugs that have been invading his dreams. Maybe it was a combo for the first couple of nights. But yeah, at this point, Thunderbird doesn't even get a mention. <laughs> nope. We're all done with that guy. And uh, so uh, maybe because of the sleepless nights, that's why he called Moira to take care of the X-Men, I guess. I have no idea. Yes, because he has got to go on some sort of journey based on this these dreams he's been having. So we move out to what I believe is Arizona, well, Rio Diablo, wherever that is. I think it's Arizona. 
And we're at the outside of like one of those adobe hut type things. And uh, it, it, this is apparently uh, the home to doctoral candidates Alex Summers and Lorna Dane. Oh, and they're totally kissing. Mm-mm. They're smooching and they're happy and smiling. And uh, Alex is going to go out for a hike. Six months they've been here working the, Diab- the jagged Diablo range. And in those months, what began as friendship has become something more. Yeah, I'll bet they've been working something. Something that Iceman would not approve of. <laughs> He's so angry right now, wherever he is. Uh, so he takes up. What do you think they've been working uh, on? They're doctoral candidates, so are they working on their thesis? I guess so. <laughs> on the mountain range? It seems like... They're just working on love because that's <laughs> immediately she starts thinking about if this isn't love, who needs the real thing? When I'm with Alex, I feel whole, complete, fulfilled. I feel like a woman. And that feels just fine. Somebody comes to the door and she's she's worried for a second because nobody's out there, even though I guess it could just be Alex. But then again, I suppose Alex wouldn't knock. Yeah. And she's she answers the door cautiously, knowing that whatever it is, she can take with her magnetic powers. Unfortunately, she's blasted by someone she recognizes as you. It's impossible. It can't be. Arg! And I just want to point out that there's quite the breast separation going on here in these tit- last two panels. Like Dave Cockrum paid extra attention to what those breasts would do in the event of being shot and fallen on the floor. This is back in the days when breasts were realistic in comic books. Okay. Look, I'm... Or at I'm, least maybe just in this comic book. I don't know. <laughs> I'm do you have the shadow of the Transformer over the top of Lorna? I do. It kind of looks... I don't know what Transformer it would be, but it's it's a horned one, that's for sure. I think it's Jazz. <laughs> so Jazz has shot Lorna Dane for some reason. <laughs> Alex hears the scream, comes running back. And uh, it turns out that Lorna is totally okay. And she's, she's got some sort of weird red devil-y sort of costume that she's hanging up in her closet. Mine's purple, but whatever. Well, it's it's. I guess mine's maroon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Alex is like, and what's with the new costume? Which makes me wonder, like, how come he doesn't know that she has a new costume? And why did she bring a costume along in the first place? Well, she didn't. Oh, will we find that out? No, but okay. I'm 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 guessing because of what happens that she doesn't that he doesn't recognize the costume that Jazz brought it. Well, and so this is another instance of a bad guy just bringing a random costume and be like, "Here, here you go." At this point, they're no. We can't call them random instances. This happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose more than once is a pattern. So she says, "The costume is mine, Alex Summers." As the power, as the power is mine, the power of Polaris. Polaris or Polaris? I always say Polaris. I say Polaris too, but I'll bet you our listeners are going to correct us. And be Polaris. Like, Polaris sounds like a disease. Well, Ooh, he's got polaris. <laughs> well, I mean, you have your polar poles, right? Polar opposites. I bet you it's polaris. Maybe it's polaris. Polaris. 
Polaris. Mistress of magnetism. <laughs> magnetism. And I am not the daughter of Magneto. <laughs> magnetism. Okay, so, and she has the power of death. Or so she Lord, says. No. You did not kill him, child. Good. So there is a red leg. Oh, Jazz has changed his skin to red. Yeah, this is clearly not jazz. I guess I I guess it must be um uh ratchet. Oh yeah, yeah, he was he was red. So ratchet, uh the only reason we know this is because we can see uh their legs. So so Alex is in the foreground with his head on the ground and then you see Lorna's legs and this one mysterious red leg and he reveals to uh Lorna that their prime objective is the death of Charles Xavier. Whoa. So Ratchet named Polaris and Larry Trask named Havoc. Uh, yeah, and then have or Larry Trask gave Havoc his costume and Jazz gave Polaris her costume. Is this a new power for Polaris, these energy blasts? I don't know that we've seen these emanating waves come off of her before. And I mean if she's like just a mistress of magnetism, like what is she shooting at, Alex? I feel like it's an, a new power. Right. I mean, because like Magneto would hurl something magnetic at somebody or, you know, or like a piece of metal, right? She's just shooting him or him with a beam. Of Maybe pure she's magnetism. siphoning all the iron out of his body and it's it's actually those little black dots are being sucked towards her hand. That could be. Well, anyways, three days later... We're at the Kennedy International, International Airport. Airport. Yeah. And we're... X-Men are bringing Professor X to his plane. And Gene is there. Gene has joined them mm -hmm. to see the professor off on his travels. Yep. And I got to say, uh, on this next page here, uh, Gene is sporting some sweet 70s boobs. <laughs> I just, I don't know why, but I mean, they just look like they came out of the 70s. This issue is brought to you by Jeremy's obsession with <laughs> boobs. Well, you know, she's got the Farrah Fawcett hair, wispy haircut, and uh, she's got that shirt with, like, the, the tie-y things, like a very 70s shirt. And I don't know. I guess I don't think girls wore bras in the 70s, so, like, they were free to hang a little bit lower, which is fine, <laughs> which is cool. Again, these are very realistic boobs. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good with them. I'm very good with them. So, anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, Storm, on the other hand, I don't know what she's wearing. She's wearing her African special dress. Yeah, she's got a belt tied like eight inches above her belly button. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Well, you know, that's how it's done sometimes. Okay. And uh, so we, we have uh, Storm, we've got Gene, we've got Cyclops, we've got some suave guy with a mustache, and they're all saying goodbye to the professor. And, that's... and uh, missing our Banshee, who is hanging with Moira McTaggart, and Wolverine, who was feeling unsociable. And we find out that the suave man with the mustache is not some stranger. It's actually Kurt Wagner. Who is using the Tony Stark uh, image inducer to look like a 1930s movie star. Uh, I believe it's Errol Flynn. It's totally Errol Flynn, yeah. And uh, the professor's like, please tell Nightcrawler that Tony Stark's image inducer is not a toy. It's to make him look unobtrusive, not like some 1930s movie star. 
So is uh, Tony Stark's image inducer, is this a known product in the Marvel Universe, or did we just make this up? I don't know. I bet we just made it up, but I have no idea. Okay. That's that's a great question. I mean, we'll, we'll, this I'll be interested to see because the image inducer gets used for quite a while, uh, and then it doesn't get used anymore. So I'm wondering if there's like a, a actual recognized farewell to the image inducer, or if future writers just like meh i'm looking on the wikipedia it is its first appearance is unknown so uh the i don't know what's going on here in this next panel but uh kurt who looks like errol flynn notices a woman with magnificent legs and colossus Which is weird it's just, it's just like a seemingly random yeah it's not gene it's not uh polaris it's not storm it's just some random woman and uh uh, the Colossus is like, I do not know. The girls of the Ust-Ordinsky collective did not wear, wear such short skirts. Ust-Ordinsky. Ust-Ordinsky collective did not wear such short skirts. Ust-Ordinsky. Well, that's amazing. I, just, I guess that's just a place. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I figured. It was like probably a proper noun of some kind. Well, anyways, Kurt's not having any of it. He's like, Philistine, which I don't know what that means. Um, okay. <laughs> wow, we're getting some internet-heavy uh, usage tonight. I believe it's Philistine, but maybe it's maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, it is Philistine, and it is a person who is lacking in or hostile or smugly indifferent to cultural values, intellectual pursuits, aesthetic refinement, or contentedly commonplace in ideas and tastes. Somebody who is ignorant, I suppose. Okay. So, I mean, these are the things that are important because I've read X-Men for years, and there's a lot of terms in here that I just never bothered to look up. Some of it's this foreign language stuff, and some of this is this overuse of the word Philistine. Because this is not the first or last time we'll see. Well, actually, it might be the first, but it's not the last time we've seen, we're going to see this. Somebody should develop an app for that. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, something catches Colossus's attention, and it looks like it's Havoc and Polaris. And that's when Cyclops turns around. And he's like, "Hey, what's going on, Havoc? Why are you in court costume? Speak up, man." <laughs> And Gene is all like, wait, something's wrong. I'm getting image sensations. Scott, it's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden, uh... oh, shoot. What the hell is his name? <laughs> Admiral Akbar. <laughs> yeah, all I could think of was Calamari, but that's not right. <laughs> all of a sudden, Admiral Akbar shows up and says, it's a trap. Uh, Polaris shoots Marvel Girl and... She goes down. You should just insert in a sound clip. Oh. No, you don't have to say that. Insert in Admiral Akbar here. Well, there. Prior to this. Polaris blasts Jean with her new special power with a zrak. And Jean, Jean's skirt flies up behind her and revealing her legs incompletely. Mm, they are this is so bizarre. Like, do dresses actually do this? I guess if they're split like that, they would. I guess I just don't understand this dress. 
it's it's seventies, man. She's got seventies legs too. You can totally see. Seventies <laughs> <70s> boots. <laughs> so, yeah, well, they are totally seventies boots. Uh, so Cyclops, he's all like, "You are crazy, Lorna. What do you think you're doing?" Comparatively, he doesn't get terribly upset about Gene just getting blasted. Nah, he's been much more upset about his deadly eyes in the past. This is like a passive upset, upsetedness. You would think he'd like he's been more upset about Gene before too, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. So uh, I guess what we didn't mention because we didn't really see it is that the professor has been wheeled up into the airplane, and what it appears is happening is uh, Havoc and Polaris would like to shoot down that airplane at this point. Yeah, and the airplane pilots see this, and somehow they recognize that Havoc warming up is means that he's about to shoot. <laughs> yeah, you got Reese and uh, somebody else here. I can't remember their names. but uh, Witherspoon. Witherspoon. Reese and Witherspoon. Reese and Witherspoon. No. That's not who he is, Adam. You almost <laughs> Reese fooled me. <laughs> Reese and Clancy. <laughs> there you go. Reese and Clancy. And... Uh, I don't know, Reese or Clancy, one of the two. He t- he looks like um, one of the guys from the Honeymooners there. <laughs> what is the this ship is labeled Starcore. It also says Lear on it. I'm not sure. I assume sh- that's clear, but. Uh, it wasn't, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. maybe it's a Lear jet? I it, don't know. It's a Lear jet with a Starcore label, and Starcore was what uh, Dr. Peter Corbo was working on way back in that Avengers issue with the Sentinels. Whoa, it all comes together. Whoa, it's all... Wait a minute. Sentinels? Starcore? It's a trap! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, so um, these guys haul ass. They just kick this plane into uh, full speed ahead, and uh, they they bust through the hangar. They're not waiting for any sort of uh, tower clearance or anything. And it's at the... Yeah, this is... What happens to Scott... He's like standing in front of the the blast, and it looks like Havoc blasts in the next panel, and then Cyclops is on the ground in the next panel. Well, not only that, um, it looks like Cyclops is in front of the plane, and Havoc is looking at Cyclops, who's in front of the plane. But in the next panel, Clancy and Reese are looking at the back of Havoc, who looks like he's throwing a fit at Polaris. No, that's the back of Scott in front of Havoc. Oh, it's weirdly inked. Okay. So I think Havoc shot Cyclops, but Cyclops was able to defuse the the, the shot because he's immune to his brother's power. See, that would make sense, but <laughs> dialogue that's coming up is going to refute that. I know, but we're not there yet. So at this point <laughs> in the comic book, Cyclops has repelled Havoc's blast, allowing Clancy and Reese the time to blast their uh, Starcore airplane out of the hangar and take off. It's very convenient that Cyclops' clothes are also able to withstand <laughs> Havoc's blast. Well, you know. Uh, uh, Havoc's power only uh, affects organic uh, objects, not inorganic objects. Right, sure, right. Sure. And, and then uh, for some reason, Polaris and uh, Havoc are like, we can run after that airplane. <laughs> so they do. Even though, as we learned later, Polaris doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. She she might be able to fly, but we'll see. <laughs> um, at this point, uh, Nightcrawler and Colossus spring into action. Uh, Nightcrawler makes sense because he's using an image inducer, so he's right in costume. 
Colossus doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, because his costume, it's like he he turns into his metallic form and his costume rips off. Well, his clothes rip off. Right. And but his 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 costume is made out of unstable molecules so they can adapt, we can buy that. But he's got these fin things. Right. I mean, how would on the, his shoulders? Yeah. It must have been like pressed down or something or I don't know, man. You'd think that that would be there would be some wrinkles in his costume. Like you'd look at his fins and be like, "Oh man, my fins are all crushed." <laughs> Does he actually get bigger? When he turns into Colossus? I mean, I guess so, if he's ripping his clothes off. he Yeah, he physically gets bigger when he turns into Colossus. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. You uh, can use one of those X-Men origins. One of those those one shots that shows exactly how his powers work? Yeah, we, we need one of those. I'm, I'm sure we'll get one, right? Colossus is able to hide his uniform underneath his costume. He has to tuck in the fins. <laughs> But I can use my power to crack a peanut like nobody's business. What a country. <laughs> Anyways, uh, as Clancy and Reese are driving their airplane to the runway to take off, Havoc is about to unleash more holy hell on them uh, when a TW Big 747 is heading towards them. Well, it's not moving. Oh, it's not? Oh. No. Well, at least I presume it's not because oh, we'll you're find right. out later that... It's not moving, but for some reason, uh, as Havoc is about to fire, Nightcrawler jumps uh, Havoc, pushing him out of the way, so that he shoots and blows up the 747, which Clancy and Reese fly through. Why were they, heading, kind... for... Why were they heading for it in the first place? It's kind of a poorly drawn explanation of what's going on it's a neat image it's a really cool image I, li- I like how it turned out but it doesn't make any sense so havoc is about to fire at reese and clancy nightcrawler tackles him you fool you've made my power blast go wild and then he destroys this giant twa ship that makes sense all of this up until now makes perfect sense somehow yeah, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, the Clancy and Reese's jet that they're on gets very, very little, little enough to fit underneath the TWA plane and flies underneath it and takes off. While it's exploding. I'm pretending that this takeoff is actually several meters away from the plane and... This is just taking two different things that are happening and combining them into one image. Maybe it's just a perspective issue. Like Clancy and Reese's plane is actually like, you know, a half a mile in front of the, uh, well, that would make the TWA airplane really big then. Yeah, it's just weird, but. It doesn't make any sense. It's a bad drawing. It doesn't make any sense. And the thing that we don't see is like the professor in the airplane being like, good Lord. What is going on out there? We don't see any of that. Or like, land this plane. I got to get back with my X-Men. They're under attack. This is crazy. We don't see any of that. This is where we learn as the X-Men look astonished that the 747 was undergoing routine maintenance and that it was empty of passengers and crew. You want to know why that is? What kind of maintenance requires no passengers or crew? 
I don't know. They could have probably just said that it was parked awaiting maintenance, but he, they didn't say that. Or they could have just said it was empty. I would have accepted that. <laughs> well, one of the two. But, you know, I mean, the reason that nobody died on that airplane is so that at the end of this adventure, Havoc can be innocent. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine, true. like, I feel like in a modern comic, that plane would have been filled with uh, innocent bystanders. And then, like, when Havoc... Oh, yeah. Then there would have been, like, an eight-part crossover. <laughs> that touched every single title. And then maybe, you know, at the end, uh, uh, the Watcher can come along and be like, yeah, it didn't really happen. And then you go back <laughs> to normal or something like that. But anyways, no, it was empty. Thank goodness. Uh, but but uh, Cyclops and uh, uh, Havoc, now they're about to... They're about to throw down because Cyclops is, what are you doing? And uh, then a mystery man, presumably Ratchet, says, he was following orders, Cyclops, my orders. And Cy- Cyclops strangely recognizes the voice as his own? <laughs> yeah. And who the, huh? You? You're Eric the Red. But you can't be Eric the Red. I was Eric the Red. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it matters not who I am, mutant. I am power incarnate. Wait, what? I, he's power incarnate. Huh. Okay. Let's remember that term, everybody. Oh, we're going to hear that a lot. <laughs> and nothing that lives can stand against me. It also looks like Eric the Red has grown quite a bit. Yeah, he's much more muscular. And taller. He um he he is like the evolution of the old Magneto saying, I am power. Now it's I am power incarnate. Yeah, that's true. That's the Chris Claremont spin on that whole term. This is clearly Magneto. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Could very well be. Um in uh so in X-Men number fifty one and fifty two, though, remember Eric the Red was quite buff, very confident, and shot beams through his fingertips. That's true. And it turned out to be Cyclops. And we never really got an explanation about where the costume came from, how he could shoot from his fingertips or anything. So I know that by the time we get done with this issue, we're going to kind of understand how that happened and why this is happening now. Or not. (laughs) Damn it, Adam. (laughs) Well, anyways. Much, Much like an episode of Lost, they're going to take this mystery and... Get as much length out of it as they can. You think so? I'm betting that they never solve this mystery. Well, you know, that's a lot of length. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Heck, they could still be working on it today. (laughs) This month in all new (laughs) X-Men. Eric the Red! He's back. You can't be Eric the Red because I was Eric the Red. (laughs) Twice! Before Cyclops was Eric the Red. (laughs) After Cyclops and... (laughs) Well, anyways, uh, so Cyclops is all like, Mister, I don't know what the masquerade is all about, but you can't beat the X-Men. Take Take him. (laughs) And that's when um, Eric the Red's like, all right, and he shoots all of the X-Men down. Not with blast through his fingers, but with some sort of all-encompassing force blast. He does hold out his hands, but yeah, I mean, the blast certainly looks like it's coming from his entire body. Gene and Storm are caught in an updraft here, and I, I don't know how they got here. Is, is Storm just flying well, them? Gene was knocked unconscious yeah. by Polaris, and I guess Storm swung by, flew by, and grabbed her, and she's trying to get her out of out of the way of harm so that she can rejoin the battle. 
And uh, uh, Storm is like, well, it's a good thing that Havok and Lorna can't fly, so we're pretty safe up here. But it turns out that though Lorna Dane cannot fly, Polaris can. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No, not really. My magnetic powers can negate the gravimetric lines of force as easily for me as they did for Krakoa. Oh, there's a little callback. And finally, we maybe have like a little explanation as to why Magneto was able to fly all of those years ago. Has Magneto been able to fly yet? I think so. Hasn't he been like levitating around a little bit or no? I don't think so. He's had every other power. I can't believe they didn't make him fly in one of those issues. He was able to control people's brains, but I don't <laughs> think he ever flew. Okay. All right. I'll take that back. Maybe, maybe he hasn't flown yet. I honestly don't remember. And so she gets up in the sky and she blasts more magnetic force or something at the two ladies who are flying. It causes a storm to drop Marvel Girl. Marvel Girl goes flying face first towards the ground. Mm -hmm. And Storm is barely able to rescue her by grabbing her hand in one of those really close reaching out scenes. Just, I must reach Jean Grey. One and more extension. Just one chance. Got to make it. Got to. Made it. And here we get another weird shot of Jean Grey's dress fully open. Woohoo. Looks like some sort of nah, she's underwear got... underneath there. I can't tell what that is, but she... it's very bizarre. They're like, they're like jorts or or <laughs> skorts or something like that yeah yeah it's not underwear or if it is it's like really big blooming granny panties <laughs> <laughs> so she puts jean gray down on a rooftop and then transforms her costume and, and then she says to herself and deal with polaris i shall only this time she'll not be facing aurora this time she faces storm no one's no one's there to hear that. <laughs> Marvel Girl, like, wakes up a little bit. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah, well, Adam, you mentioned this last issue, and it will never get any better. Oh, I'm going to mention it. Every issue I remember. I hope you do. I, I want. We should have, like, a counter going. <laughs> Listeners, if you're out there, uh, just count every time Adam mentions this little Chris Claremontism. And count every time that Jeremy brings up somebody's power scientifically <laughs> and it not making any sense well anyways uh now it's time for cyclops and havoc to face off and face off they do but this... See, here i feel like if the the whole idea of their powers not working on each other because their brothers existed they would point it out during this scene i completely agree and this uh scene and a half or whatever you want to call it uh, does not jive with that whole relatives not hurting one another, which I, I swear has been established in the in the pre sixty six issues. But admittedly, they never actually shoot each other. Cyclops shoots the ground underneath Havoc's feet, causing him to uh, fall off balance. But then he worries that if he cuts loose at me full strength, I've had it. Yeah, I don't want to hurt him. But if he cuts loose, so. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely intimating that either one of them could hurt the other. Now, they could, of course. Like, I mean, if their powers don't hurt each other, uh, they could certainly, like, drop a building on the other. I mean, that would certainly hurt the other, right? I mean... Right, which is sort of what Havoc does. He mm -hmm. blasts 
I don't know if he was aiming at Cyclops or not, but he ends up blasting a wall right behind him and it falls and lands on Cyclops. And Sh- shocks Alex. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean I didn't want to. Dear Lord in heaven, if I've killed him. And Cyclops is alive. And Cyclops sucker punches Alex. And uh, not only does he sucker punch him, but his little parachute boots flail out <laughs> uh, amazingly. You would think that if, you know, Cyclops probably has to do a lot of running. You know, in the superhero business, you're either running from or running to or whatever. You would think that these gigantic boots would slow you down <laughs> with all the wind that they're catching. It's amazing. You would think, but these are aerodynamic parachute jetpack boots. Yeah, they're unstable molecule boots. <laughs> they adapt when they're running. They close in. Cyclops gives a Colossus punch to... uh uh or or maybe his patented magneto punch from way back when. Yeah, it's it's a it's a full on punch there. He knocks Alex sideways. Mm-hmm. Literally. Alex is sideways in this panel. Ah, yeah, I'm with you. He he is. And that is quite the that is quite the pow we've got there. And it almost seems though as though uh Havoc is uh, mentally in control of himself, but not physically in control of himself. So he can think and whatever, but like he can't control his actions until he thinks he killed Scott. And then he's got complete control over everything of his. Yeah. He, he seems to be struggling with somebody controlling his mind. So get some interesting captions. Um, this one is one fight winds down. Another shifts into high gear uh, between the storm and Alex fight, we got. So it goes. One battle begins anew. Another pauses for breath. I like those. That's it's a Chris Claremont that works. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Well, he's a good writer. He's just he's he's finding his his niche here. Yeah. And uh, the the Eric the Red refers to Colossus and Nightcrawler as mutant vermin. You cannot hope to defeat me. So Eric the Red is not a mutant? Presumably not. Well, don't worry. All will be revealed by the end of this issue. Well, it is revealed in the very next panel because Eric the Red calls Nightcrawler Elf. Therefore, it must be Wolverine. (gasps) Wow. He grew. He's a lot taller. (laughs) He'll try nothing, Elf. And then he chucks uh, Nightcrawler. He doesn't just throw him, but he chucks him. He chucks him into Colossus with the effect of uh, Nightcrawler getting knocked unconscious by Colossus. But that does not happen because Nightcrawler disappears in a in a mighty bamf. And here we get our first, there is the crack of flame and the gusting stench of brimstone. This is a dialogue panel we will see almost every issue from here on out. <laughs> just to remind any listener or I mean uh, reader who didn't catch it the first time or is brand new to the book that the teleportation stinks but it's not colored it's still yellow it's not purple yet well they're I mean they're getting there there's there's definitely some purpley pink clouds outside of it and when he reappears it's in a, a purpley pink cloud he appears on uh-huh. a plain wing mine, although mine... it doesn't entirely make sense how he reappears because he, as he pointed out before, when he get, when he disappears going at any sort of speed, oh. he, he reappears also going at that speed. So that's not what happens. He reappears on a plane wing 
in a crouching position. Yeah. I'd like to point out that mine is completely colored differently. Like uh, on the last page where the Banff is, there's a brown cloud of smoke around his Banff. And on the plane wing, he's just got white smoke around him. Hmm. But a purple sky uh, behind him. My my Banff is yellow with some orange and pink smoke around it. Yeah, no. And uh, when he reappears, it's also orange and pink smoke. Yeah. There you go. Way to go, Marvel. Way to get the coloring right. <laughs> <laughs> So he leaps off the wing and uh, jumps down to um, Eric the Red with the plan of Colossus hitting him high while Nightcrawler hits him low. Right. He tackles his legs, causing him to fly straight into Colossus's punch. And Eric the Red refers to Nightcrawler as a changeling. Which is weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Maybe it's because he saw him uh, in his image inducer and he just assumes that he's a... Shape-shifting, changeling. Oh, good I call, good call. Uh, look, I'm just putting a little science into this. I, I doubt I that's know, what's that's happening. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so they're they're punching and, and stuff. We get to wreck and another they, airplane. Yeah, Eric the Red says, hey, your punches suck, Nightcrawler. And then Colossus is like, well, what about my punches? Is Colossus nothing too? And um, Eric the Red's Eric the like Red, Eric the Red responds yes, and throws him into the wheel of a plane, which then lands on Colossus. Total disregard for this airport and the safety therein. This is an uh, eastern plane. Yeah, uh, and uh, Nightcrawler's very worried. I don't know why we continue to be worried about Colossus. The man is made out of steel. He can free fall and land uh, in the middle of the desert and not get hurt. But an airplane falls on him and Nightcrawlers are like, Oh, Peter, are you all right? By all that's holy, horned one, if you have killed him. Do not worry yourself, Kurt. Colossus is far from dead. And when I die, I will take far more than Eric the Red to kill me. And, and then he tosses the wheel of the plane into Eric the Red. And then something happens. Images coming fast now, almost too fast. Eric the Red smashing through a pile of fuel drums, lying broken and still. As the dark above the, the dark sky above the Kennedy sky suddenly goes dark, and two mutant elementals come together in a death duel that all too soon becomes a stalemate. It's kind of like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> it's basically like Chris Claron saying, oh, "I need to write this. I need to get through this faster." I know, like. I guess maybe Eric the Red hit a fuel thing, which blew up. We don't really see that. I don't. I'm just guessing here. And then, uh, then we 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 uh, the stalemate is um, Lorna Dane and um, Storm. Uh, one of those is not an elemental power, but we can forgive that. Uh, <laughs> but apparently, the magnetism and the weather uh, repel each other, and that's creating this crazy havoc in the sky. I mean, it's like the gates of hell have opened up and are about to swallow this airport. It makes no sense. It, um, maybe, maybe Polaris's newfound powers are elemental powers. Uh, maybe. Sure. Why not? She does say that, uh, so w whereas Havoc had kind of come to his senses, uh, Polaris has not, and she's... Still like, well, I guess we'll just have to call this game a draw. Like, she's not like, Storm, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. I don't have control over my power. 
But no, she she mentions that they're playing a game and that causes Storm to flip out. A game? Is that all this is to you, Polaris? A game? And then she zaps the crap out of Polaris, causing her to go completely unconscious and fall through the ground. And that's when Havoc sees her falling and screams, Lorna, curse you, Cyclops. If Lorna's been hurt, I'll kill you, brother. I'll kill you all. So because Storm lost her mind at the mention of a game and shot Lorna, Havoc decides that this is Cyclops' fault. Well, you know, he's going to kill them all. (laughs) I'll kill you all. You don't come back from that. Like, you can't be with your buddies and be like, I'll kill you. I will kill every last one of you. (laughs) And then be like, oh, man, I'm just kidding about that. Just kidding. I didn't really mean it. (laughs) I'm just totally just kidding. You guys are still alive, except for Bobby. And uh, so he doesn't kill anybody, but he does go out running over to Lorna to find out... uh, you know, if she's dead, he loves Lorna we'll Dane. And for that love, he would lie, cheat, steal, even kill. That's some serious stuff, man. No kidding. Um, well, this this is the, a stark contrast between when Jean Grey got blasted by Polaris and, <laughs> and Cyclops Scott like, was just like, no, what the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? Are you crazy? Let us have a conversation about why you just shot my girlfriend. Oh, now you are shooting me. To say, is it fair enough to say that Cyclops would not lie, cheat, still, or even kill for Jean Grey? I think yeah, that is, yeah, yeah. He would not do any of those. He might, uh, I don't even know. He might neglect a, a kitty for a day. But that's about it. Like, I'm not going to feed that cat because I love you so much, Gene. But uh, he he wouldn't lie, steal, cheat, or kill. Not this Cyclops, anyways. Maybe today's. I don't know. Well, anyway. At this point, it's the latest member of the X-Men team who shows up. It's Reinforcements. (laughs) What? Reinforcements is here. And uh, Reinforcements is... Wolverine and Banshee. And they're driving, apparently, a fantastic car that they found. Yeah. A hover car, anyways. So I have a theory about this. Um, In the early portion of this issue, all of the X-Men were in their uh, plane clothes, right? Uh, And we have yet to see Wolverine in his plane clothes. I'm guessing that... So they couldn't have Wolverine in there because they didn't know what he looked like yet. That's my guess. Huh. I, I yeah. just, I'm just, I mean, why else, why would you not have them there? And there's this, buy it. this is so bad because Colossus is like, Xavier, or no, uh, Eric the Red is actually like, Xavier must have summoned them with his cursed mental powers. Yeah, they really didn't need to say that. I mean, I guess if they didn't say that, we would have been like, how did they know where to go? Well, in an every but- issue where... Professor X has uh, summoned them. We've seen it, right? He said, Cyclops, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Look out right. for Thunderbird. Or, or you know, or maybe a scene over at the mansion where the professor's like, hey, you guys, they need help. But it's just like, it just well, happens. I think they could have gotten away with not just getting rid of that word balloon and having them just show up. Sure. And then like, maybe having Wolverine say, we saw you guys on the news. Yeah, or we were wondering what happened. Or we, you guys have been gone for a long time or something. 
But no. Anyways, uh, Eric the Red's like, Lorna, Polaris, or Polaris Havoc, to me. We got to go. Two more guys showed up, and now it's hopeless odds. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever. So uh, apparently Lorna no longer – oh, she's probably um, unconscious. But Eric the Red, he he grabs the two, and they fly off. Yeah. And then Cyclops says, stop or I'll fire. I mean it, Alex. I'll cut you down if I have to, even though Alex isn't the one who's, like, flying away. There's a lot of blaming the wrong person in this issue. (laughs) And that's when Wolverine steps in and says, what are you doing, boss man? You got a clear shot at them. Blast them, man. They're getting away. Blast them. That cuts it, bub. Those clowns try to stomp us, and you just stand there and watch them fly away? What's the matter, Hotshot? You gutless or something? Is this our first bub? It's our first bub. Yeah. And I and guess, then... uh, uh, you know, Cyclops, remember remember a while ago in one of the older X-Men issues, uh, uh, Cyclops was like, nobody calls me. It wasn't chicken, but it was like the same type of nobody calls Cyclops chicken. Right. And he shoots. Like, apparently, Gutless is Cyclops' hot button, because that's where he just backhands uh, Wolverine. Oh, he he totally, like, just completely backhands him. He's, he's in one panel, he's all angry and gritting and gritting his teeth and, like, Wolverine, shut up! Crack. Why, Why you want to, son of a... I'm going to cut you wide open for that! Yeah, at least he didn't call him a futzer, so I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, they've they've abandoned futzer. They've only used it twice, and it's done now. <laughs> no! You will do nothing, Wolverine. Not now, not ever, or you will answer to me. Says Storm, Storm. showing that she is uh, the boss of Wolverine. Yeah, apparently. Wolverine just looks kind of shocked and, and dismayed and, Yes, ma'am. And uh, then apparently we were able to cut to a camera that a man is looking through who is witnessing Cyclops walking away from the X-Men. And another he walks alone now, his mind torn by questions he can't answer, feelings he can't explain. His brother tried to kill him today, and he knows deep down when they next meet, there will be no holding back. Brother will kill brother. Wow. And uh, the man, there's a man. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. In his. Uh, there's another leg there too. Is it a leg? Where's well, it? in mine oh. it's colored purple. So yes. Oh, mine doesn't see. Now this is an interesting panel. Let me describe it. It's uh, Stephen Lang is looking at a scene of the last panel that we just saw of basically the X Men watching walking watching Cyclops walk away. There is another hand of a man who's at a control panel who's watching Stephen Lang who's watching Cyclops walk away. This apparently has been recolored so many times that I don't think there is a right way to color it. <laughs> apparently, in like some of the older ones. Uh, the Stephen Lang portion of the screen was black and white, while the X-Men portion of the screen was color, which would make no sense, right? Yeah. Because you'd be watching a black and white TV, which somehow has color on it. In this one, Stephen Lang is in color. The X-Men are in black and bluish. Uh, the leg that you refer to is gray, and the computer terminal is purple. And then there's a red arm that's watching all of this. How? Let's see. In mine, the the X-Men are a kind of a black and whitish, but 
more more like a blue and purpley. And then the Stephen Lang shot, well, the leg is purple. Stephen Lang's console is green and brown and orange and red and all sorts of different colors. And then the outside frame, the gloved hand is red. And the his monitor is kind of metallic colored. Yeah. And in classic X-Men, I think everything that's beyond the red glove is kind of in a uh, washed out black and white color. Except for Stephen Lang's costume. It's still white and red. Is it? Okay. And then in the scans that I have from the 2005 DVD release, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of color everywhere. So in four different mediums, and obviously none of us have the original to see what it looked like, but I'm told that the original was how I described it with Stephen Lang. I think Lang. the scans are from the original. I thought they were too, but it's that one's, the, the scans are colored perfectly. All the other ones that we've seen here are, are wrong. Well, yours is probably more accurate than the other two that I'm referring to. But anyhow, if you read like the foreword of the uh, Marvel Masterworks, the Uncanny X-Men number one, this panel is referenced by Chris Claremont as being one of the <laughs> ones that they had the biggest problem was with getting colored. There was even one classic coloring goof long since corrected. In the final panel, we see a villain watching another villain, watching the X-Men on video screens. Originally, the X-Men were shown in color, but Lang was shown in black and white with the watcher delineated in color. Someone belatedly wondered how someone could watch something in color on black and white screen. Oopsie. (laughs) So I guess the original was the X-Men were in color where Lang was in black and white. Yeah, and so the 2005 DVD I'm looking at right now, going to the page. The X-Men are completely black and white. Stephen Lang is in color. The computer console is all colorful, like you just mentioned, greens, browns, reds. You've got the red arm and then kind of a metal. I mean, this one's colored perfectly in this scan. So Hmm. I don't know. And then the classic X-Men is colored differently. My Masterworks is different. Your Omnibus is different. And then somewhere, this other where the X-Men are in color, but Lang is in black and white. We don't even have that in our possession. Hmm. I don't know why. And I don't know who this red arm is. Do you? It looks like uh, the arachnid or something. He's got I know. like a spider on his hmm. glove. Okay. So we gotta we got to watch out for that. Who, who is Eric the Red? What the heck is his modem, motive? What's Stephen Lang doing? We know we're going to find out that. And who's this red arm? Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, and I think we can give a little bit of way here because the next issue says, The Sentinels Have Returned. Whoa, you just blew my mind. Sentinels, finally. Is that what this purple leg is all about? It's brown in mine, so I doubt it. (laughs) Wait a minute, wasn't there a purple on purple leg in the last issue too? There was, oh my gosh. Wait a minute. Is Stephen Lang or this red uh, gloved man behind something, Sentinel-wise? I don't know. Tune in next week, everybody, and find out. I did want to also, you know, before we go on to our little spoilers section, I wanted to hit up one letter. It's something that we haven't really been doing uh, a lot lately. Um, But most of the letters uh, up until now have been very, very positive on the new state of the X-Men. But a letter from Tom Running Mouth caught my attention. 
Tom Running Mouth writes in, After reading Giant Size X-Men 1, I was proud to see one of my own people, an American Indian, America's First Citizens, become a media a member. But to my dissatisfaction in X-Men number 94, you started to oppress him. The story and art were good, but I was angry to see Thunderbird treated harshly. But the clincher was X-Men number 95. You killed him! Why was he chosen? Why Thunderbird? And Marvel, whoever's editing or writing this, I think offers the biggest cop-out answer I've seen yet. And basically what they say is that, and it's what you said too, actually, is that Thunderbird was too one-dimensional. There was nowhere for him to go. Uh, blah blah blah. Let me go ahead and read it. Because he was the weakest potential character in the X Men, he had no powers which weren't duplicated by other members of the team, Colossus or Nightcrawler or Wolverine, and Harsh's sound duplicated better. But worst of all, his character as a character had nowhere to go. Which is that's bull. That's crap. all he was. All he ever really could be was a wisecracking, insolent, younger, not as interesting copy of Hawkeye, the marksman, and the Avengers. And if you have any questions as to the problems Hawkeye has been having as a character, just look at all the roles he's taken in the past 10 years. Proud Stark deserved a better deal than that, and he could never get it, which is why he had to die. That's that's just baloney. That's terrible, because I think you can start off with a one-dimensional character like that, and, and you can call it a facade, right? You have you have that one issue where he does, like, his soul-searching or whatever, and mm-hmm. and he, he chips through that hard exterior, and it turns out that uh, maybe he had a wife, and not a wife, because he said he didn't have any wife, but maybe he had a girlfriend and a, and a kid out of wedlock, and they were killed because of something, and because of that, he had to put this hard face on. But now he's finally a family with the X-Men, and the X-Men are taking care of him, and he's, like, really, like, comfortable and stuff, and... And then he's like Wolverine, for God's sakes. I mean, he is like the most one-dimensional character ever for, I don't know, five to ten years before he finally develops some depth and goes somewhere. So, anyways, it's a cop-out. Hawkeye, on the other hand, is a dumb character. I don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) And I've read uh, many iterations of Hawkeye from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 10s. And I know that they keep working on him and changing him, but I don't like him. Uh, now I believe we are ready to go into the classic X-Men portion of the show. This is, uh, classic X-Men number five. Four or five? It's five. And it's the, uh, pretty much the same creative team. We've got, obviously, Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum. John Bolton is doing the backup story on page 21 to 32. Sam Granger is helping out, uh, well... Basically the same creative team uh, with John Bolton. Uh, it's another Art Adams cover. I like those Art Adams covers. Yeah, uh, me too. And actually, uh, I also noticed that the uh, table of contents also features Art Adams, which is kind of nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we fast forward to the first piece of retcon, which occurs right after Lorna and uh, Havoc are like, I love you, I kiss you, and I'm so happy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, so we saw Lorna like, oh, I'm striking gold, and if this is love, I don't care about anything else. And for whatever reason, it's established that we must do the exact same thing for Havoc. Which we do, and... I love Havoc in this third panel. He looks so stupid. <laughs> he's got a big toothy grin, and he's like, I love Lorna Dane. Oh, that echo carries a far piece. I wonder if she heard. I wonder if Scott and Jean feel as crazy good. I sure hope so. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. And and he's so happy that he's in love with Lorna that he shoots some rocks. Well, he also does a little, like, here's, I feel why they did this whole retcon is so that they could throw in, has he ever forgiven me for being adopted when he wasn't? Growing up at a state orphanage can't have been fun. Yeah, obviously Havoc referring to Cyclops. And we also get a little purple thought uh, balloon or whatever you want to call it of, I guess, Havoc's adopted parents. I'm guessing. Three of them. (laughs) He's got one father and two mothers. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) Well, anyways, then he blows up the rocks and he he finds this little uh, rocky bridge that he's about to walk over. And that's when... He hears the scream from the house. Then ah! we jump to page 12, mm-hmm. where we get a little cut scene shortly after Eric the Red first blasts Cyclops and Nightcrawler. Uh, he goes to, well, Alec, Alex goes to defend his brother and actually shoots Eric the Red, but Eric the Red grabs him and says, I am your master. You have no will, Havoc, but mine. And then he zaps him with his hypno-beam eyes. Which is dumb, because, first of all, he said earlier, like, he's calling all these people muties. He really hasn't done any sort of powers. And I guess all this does is serve to show how he was able to hypnotize these guys in the first place. But I don't know that this needed to be The reason they did it was clearly for the next panel where uh, Cyclops is thinking, Professor... If you're monitoring my thoughts, you'd better summon Banshee and Wolverine. No reply. I hope he heard, because before this caper ends, I'm a, I have a feeling we're going to need them. It's crazy. Eric was the cover identity I created years ago when we first met Lorna. Somehow this guy, whoever he is, learned of it and assumed it for the same reason he's using Havoc and Lorna as his cat's paws to throw me off balance. What? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. That's not why he used Eric the Red. He, why did he use Eric the Red? He used it to throw Magneto off balance? God, I don't even remember. No, he's saying that this guy is using the Eric the Red costume to throw Cyclops off balance. It w- and assumed it for the same reason he's using Havoc and Lorna as his... What? I don't understand. And he's using Havoc and Lorna as his pawns also to throw Cyclops off balance. Okay. Well, still, do you remember why he adopted the Eric the Red uh, costume in the first place? Yes. Oh, wait, he was like, I'm evil, come with me. Yeah, he's pretending to be a villain and get into the ranks of Mesmero and Magneto. Gotcha. But again, the main main point for this page is just so that he has that, uh, you better summon Banshee and Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Kind of uh, unnecessary, but... Okay, so in the classic X-Men panel here, this is maybe the one that's... I don't know why this is colored differently than the original, but... The X-Men are in full color. The Stephen Lang panel is all black and white, except for his skin and his costume trim are in color. His hair is also uh, blonde. Yeah. And then uh, the arm there is red. So this one is probably the least uh, the least accurate of all of them. So it's like they, they wrecked it or something for, for the classic X-Men. Hmm. Well, anyways... Um. Yeah, so let's go to the backup story. It's called Prison of the Heart, and man, is it a boring story. <laughs> there's there's so many word balloons, or I mean, uh, dialogue boxes here. 
That's a quick one, though. We get uh, Peter Rasputin is drawing. He's down at the pier. And uh, as we predicted last episode, he is drawing. Yep. And he hears some Russian screaming. So he goes to check it out. And it's a girl being kidnapped. What does Russian screaming sound like? Uh, Russian screaming! <laughs> I'm Russian know. and I'm screaming! <laughs> oh, this is the sign for Colossus to strike. Well, Colossus, he's he's Russian in New York. What a country! So he jumps <laughs> off the dock and onto the car, and he's riding that car like a surfboard. Yeah, it's totally cool. <laughs> it's totally radical is what it is, Adam. But that's not enough. He decides that he's going to turn into Colossus. Flesh and blood, bone and sinew, instantly transformed to organic steel. And he punches into the car, just like the old T-1000 scene. Oh, yeah. And they shoot him. Pew! Blam! Pew! Oh, pew! <laughs> And, and the car swerves out of control and hits a wall and Colossus then runs around to the other side and picks it up and smashes it down and the, the Jamokes run away. Well, this is actually kind of a, I mean, it's a very cliched humor bit, but it's like, let's got rid of the, f- uh, I don't know how to do a Russian. That's got rid of the fool. I'll reverse us out of here. And as the panels progress, the car gets at a more and more angle and there's a question mark and an explanation point. And then we realize the deliciousness that Colossus has lifted up the car. (laughs) Yeah. And then they run away. We can't fight that metal monster. Let's get out of here. And so he opens up the trunk or no, is it the back seat? I guess he opens up the back door to the back seat and she's unconscious. What's that on the seat? Is that like a little packet of cocaine? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. And a, a, little, clo- uh, a little bottle, like one of those liquor bottles they give off in planes. <laughs> oh, that could be. She's just like drunk on cheap whiskey or something. Well, she, yeah, the other point here is that Colossus is like, oh, they called me a monster. I wonder if they'll think I'm a monster. I wonder if this girl would think I'm a monster. I better transform back. Interesting to note that as Colossus transformed into his costume this time, like or into his, his metallic self, he doesn't destroy his clothes. He does rip them a little. Correct. But that doesn't jive with what we saw before. His clothes don't explode off of his body like we previously yeah. saw well he's uh he's wondering if the lady's all right and they they talk and she's like oh you're not one of them i trust you uh, you speak russian i speak russian hooray <laughs> and then he goes back to collect his belongings and everybody says he's a really good artist and he says Spasiba, thank you comrade whoops <laughs> he doesn't say that uh he, he says uh, wait, he's, uh, oh, he says, Spasibo, tavlarishu. Oh my gosh. Spasibo. Spasibo, tavlarishu. Torvarisha? Spasibo, tavlarishu. Torva, oh man, I always just said Torvich. <laughs> as I read it, but Torvarisha? I don't know, that's a tough one. Uh, and he says, oh, it's, it is nothing. I sketch for my little sister Eliana at home. My pencil can create far better pictures of this land than my poor words. She's a lucky girl. Yep. Turns out that this girl, her name is Anna Markova. 
And she never thanked him. Oh, here, let's do this one real quick. Peter. No, oh, okay. So <laughs> Peter's name in uh, Russian is Peter. Peter. Okay, I never knew how to pronounce that because it's P I O T R. Well, it's it's Peter. Yeah, it's not like Peter. I mean, like Jesus is spelt the same way in Spanish, but it's Jesus, right? I mean, Hey, you, Seuss. So I'm just saying, like, so it's Pietor. That's kind of neat. I like that. Well, anyways, um, apparently uh, she has run away from her father to join the dance. Yes, she's a ballerina, and she has a gig tonight as some sort of major ballerina-type deal. And as far as John Bolton artwork goes... I do think like the the pictures of uh, Anna Markova are very um, like if they were on a quality like uh, a color uh, and paper, they would look very uh, pop artish. I think. Mm-hmm. So I I do like his artwork. I think I like his artwork on the close ups of faces, but I don't think I like them with action or like distance. He's good with faces. Yeah. Okay. So they they really get to know each other and they're talking about their times and he goes to witness her do her uh, ballet performance and everybody's really finds it impressive and she takes two hours to as he waits two hours for her as she gets over she gets uh, off of the stage and um, she's got a bunch of flowers and and they kiss yeah. It's a very, I mean, Jesus, it's only been one night and she's already ready to give it up. It's ridiculous. And uh, she and he encounter the guys that they encountered before. Actually, these are new guys, but they're still Russian. Well, before that, he, this is the word I wanted to look up. Uh, um, Colossus, or I mean, Peter, Piotr, Piotr, before seeing Anna Markova come out of her dress room, he says, Shto. S-H-T-O, which is a term that he uses a lot in the X-Men. I had just assumed he got cut off and it was a longer word like Shtovorich or something. I think, here, let's try this. Shto. (laughs) Okay. Shto. Anyways, uh, they encounter the bad guys uh, who are destined to take her back to Russia because I, I guess her father really wants her back. And that's when Peter turns into Colossus. And threatens and defeats the bad guys. He punches them and pushes them and then turns back into Colossus. And he's like, you are truly safe now, Anya. I doubt they'll bother you again forever, Anya. And she is like, you're a monster. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what? I'm not a monster. We kiss. You give up. (laughs) How am I different? And she's, you lied to me. You deceived me. Pretended you were human when you were not. Is that what your heart says? My heart feels betrayed. If it's wrong about you, it could be wrong about everything. Which is a ridiculous bit of logic, but whatever. So maybe her dreams of being a ballerina are also wrong, and maybe she should go back to Russia like her father wants her to. A man of steel has no heart. 
And she and then Galassus thinks about that. Oh yeah, I guess she runs away. She throws the picture down on the ground that she that he drew of her, and yeah, she runs away. And Colossus spends the entire day at this I don't know waterfront, standing there thinking, and he doesn't move a muscle apparently. No. And then eventually he tears up the the ballerina drawing, throws it on the ground, and says, "You are wrong." <laughs> he had to really think about it, though. <laughs> uh, um, I sent you "sto." Means what? Sto. Okay, so for some reason, "sto" can mean what or into. Well, it's it's different. I mean, they were they're different. If you look at the characters, oh, it's the, clearly different. The characters are different. Wow, that's cra- what a crazy language. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end of the classic X-Men tale for this week. Uh, just, a, just a little piece about uh, Colossus questioning his humanity, I suppose. Colossus is a manatee? Colossus is a manatee. He's a, a big metal manatee. So we got uh, one piece of mail on our uh, website page from... Uh, and this is going way back to episode 53, Who Dares Defy the Demi-Men. Oakley Fives Sunglasses writes, Women lift weights for a variety of reasons. Some hit the gym looking to improve their overall fitness level. Athletes use sports-specific training to improve their performance. Fitness competitors train to tone their bodies. Powerlifters seek to improve their strength and lift heavier loads. Bodybuilders lift weights to sculpt muscles for posing. Resistance training ranges from weights-free and lightweight work with high repetitions to much heavier loads for competitive powerlifters and bodybuilders. Oakley 5 Sunglasses. Well, thank you, Oakley 5 Sunglasses. We really appreciate you listening to our podcast, but we fail to see how any of that has anything to do with the X-Men. I, I, I guess we must have said something about weightlifting and maybe asked a question or something, and, and they're just responding. That would be my guess. So we thank you for your uh, your comment there. Uh, uh, and we ask that if you get a chance, if you could go out to iTunes and also give us a five-star rating and some words of encouragement. Also, visit us at www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast or Twitter us at Go Danger... At, no, damn it, at Danger Room Go... Twitter is not a verb. <laughs> well, I make it a verb. Visit our Twitter feed, which is at Go Danger Room. Oh, damn it. Which is Danger Room, which is at Danger Room Go. And go to our webpage, www.xmenpodcast.com, where you too can also post your weightlifting dreams on our website. It's true. <laughs> it is true. Uh, yeah, no other feedback this week. Uh, one other challenge I want to put out there if you've uh, lasted this long. Uh, our Facebook has been at about 80 likes for quite a while, and 80 is darn close to 100. So let's say we kick off the 100 Facebook likes campaign. All right. Find some friends, find some strangers, find anybody and say, hey, like this podcast and listen too if you get a chance. Yeah, especially listen. And if we get to 100 likes, Adam and I will do something special. We will? <laughs> yes. 
we're going to podcast in the nude. <laughs> what? Uh, wait, I've been podcasting in this in the nude this whole time. Oh, <laughs> haven't you? You're going to podcast clothed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the deal, Adam. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I I thought you misunderstood when I said no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I feel so dirty and, and humiliated now. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go put my clothes on. Uh, but uh, until next week, everybody, the danger room is closed. Get up. Get up. Get up.